us is so wonderful. Thank you, Paul, for uh, leading us in communion. So great to read Isaiah 53 to think about what Jesus did for us. Today, we're going to start a new series on the parables of Jesus. If you've been here at Grace recently, you've known we've been teaching through the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, We started um, last year or the year before and, uh, and it's just been really good, thinking of his ministry, thinking of his life, thinking of what he said and what he did and, and all of that, of who he was. And now we get to the point of uh, the parable section. He's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been going out to the Gentiles, he's in the region of, not the Gentiles, he's in the region of Galilee, the Galileans, and uh, this is a majority of his ministry. And now we get to the parables. Now, To set this up, think of this. Have you ever heard of the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words? Ever hear that? Picture is worth a thousand words. What do people mean by that? Think of a multi-generational family photo where you have four or five generations in the same family. It's normally women. I don't know why us guys can't get our stuff together and do this, but uh, we have like, you know, pictures of our guns. Uh, But anyway, you have the, you have the, the granddaughter and the, you know, all the way up to the great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother. And uh, that one photo, think of how much is expressed in that one photo. Or imagine the, the photo of the father-daughter dance at a wedding. You've got that distant photo of the dad and the emotion on his face and the bride. Uh, and there's so much to be said in that one photo. You know, a single picture has a lot to say in just one frame. Pictures are powerful because they say so much. Well, back in Jesus' day, they didn't have pictures. They didn't have cameras. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have TikTok. So the best teachers would use what, what we call word pictures. It's the idea of giving your mind's eye a picture of something in order to teach. If you have a really good word picture, you can say a lot with one idea. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus was a master teacher. One-third of his teaching is in story form, and many of those are parables. And so we're going to look at the parables because Jesus said that the parables are keys to understanding God's kingdom. These are keys to understanding spiritual truths, things we can't see with our eyes. We need to use physical stories, physical short stories to relate this idea, things that we do understand to try to understand things that we don't. So we're going to take the several weeks to look at Jesus' parables, and the first one begins in Mark chapter 4. So if you turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 1, Mark 4, verse 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So, so he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And so this section in Mark's gospel is kind of like a, a turning point. It's a new section for Mark's gospel. He's, he's been explaining how Jesus is this, you know, miracle worker. He, he performs signs and wonders. He's preaching repentance and faith. He's going throughout the land. And now in chapter 4, we begin this section of his parable, his parabolic teaching, his parables. And so the picture is Jesus is so famous now that he can't even go outside without large crowds gathering around him. 
So imagine if, you're, if you've ever been to Israel, you know what this looks like off the Sea of the Galilee. These small homes, uh, he walks out and there's people there, oh, there's Jesus. And, and Jesus had performed miracles. Jesus had told stories. He, he taught. As a matter of fact, he had the reputation already that people went back to their hometowns and said, no one teaches like this guy. No one teaches like this rabbi. I've never heard a single preacher like Jesus. And so he's got all these crowds gathering around him, so much so that he's right off the Sea of Galilee. He gets into a boat. He goes off on the shore, and he's teaching them from the boat because he's, he needs some space. You know, he's like a mom. She's locking herself in the bathroom. I need space. I need you. Don't, don't be. So he needed space. There's so many crowds. So he's teaching the people off of this boat. And it says that he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, what are parables? The word parable is used 50 times in the New Testament. There's a couple times where it's used in a way you wouldn't think of parable. But the main idea of the word parable is to cast alongside of. It's almost like a verb and a noun saying, this is something that you throw alongside another idea, and it's meant to help you understand uh, the main idea. If you want to simplify something complex so that you can understand it, you have to relate it to something people already know. If you want to teach something new, something complex, something it's difficult to understand, you have to use an illustration, a.k.a. parable, of something that people already understand that relates to this complex idea. That's what Jesus did. He used parables. He took the physical world that was understand by most, uh, understood by most, because people have physical eyes, you can see you know, things, and he related to something spiritual that people didn't understand because you can't see the spiritual world with your physical eyes. And so that's what he did. One person said that a parable is like a small story with a big idea. But parables do so much more than just explain something, don't they? Parables are, are powerful. They're effective at connecting the head to the heart. Do you remember King David's story? You know, King David, a man after God's own heart. He's this prodigy, war strategist, warrior. He's amazing. He grows up. He becomes king. But at some point, he stops going off to war, and a bored man is a dangerous man, and he gets into trouble with Bathsheba. Now, he knew from God's word what he did was wrong. Murder's wrong, adultery's wrong, all that's wrong. But he kind of kept it hidden. He kind of kept it to himself. He tried, to make, he tried to justify it. He tried to make it work out for himself. He killed Uriah, the husband. And we see no repentance from David, even though he knew God and loved him. And then what happens? His buddy Nathan, the prophet Nathan, he comes alongside and goes, David, I got a story for you. It's like a parable. Now, Nathan, the prophet, didn't come to David and say, hey, I've got this list, uh, you know, I've got debits on the left, credits on the right, and I'm just showing some big debits on you right now, and you did some naughty things, and here's what you did. Nathan didn't do that. Nathan told him a parable. He said, David, I've got this story for you. And, and remember, King David was a shepherd as a boy, so he knew what it was like to take care of sheep. He knew what it was like to be the youngest brother of multiple kids, all these, you know, like eight, ki- eight boys. So he says, I got the story for you. There was this one poor, simple man, and he had this baby sheep, a lamb. Let's call him Lovey. He had this baby sheep, 
and he loved this sheep, and he brought him home, and his kids got, got around the sheep. Have you ever seen a little cute baby sheep? And his kids loved the sheep, and they petted him, and they named him Lovey, and they're just, oh, I love this sheep. And he grew up in the house, and he petted, and he fed it, and he's like, this is my one lamb that I have. And he just became a house pet. This is like a family member to them. But then this rich guy down the street who had plenty of sheep had a guest surprise him, and he was coming over. So he's like, oh, and he took the one sheep of that poor man, and he slaughtered it and gave it to his guest. King David heard that parable and got livid. He was so angry. He was like, you tell me who that man is, I'm going to kill him. He was going to kill him. And King David wasn't like, oh, I'm going to kill you and then not do it. King David was King David. If you know anything about the story, he was going to murder that guy. He said, you tell me who that man is, I'll bring him to justice. And Nathan turned to him and said, uh, that man is you. A parable, a story is used to connect what you already know up here to your heart. It's a powerful illustration so that you can understand something that you won't hear plainly. You can't just be told the information. You've got to feel and understand it with something that's already there. And so Jesus, as a master teacher, used parables. And he used parables in two ways. Um, I want you to think of glass. He used parables like glass. And there's two, two forms of glass that we use. He used parables as a window and as a mirror. Both are made of glass. A mirror just has a thin layer of some kind of metal is the best because it's shiny and clear and it reflects light. Uh, parables are like a window and a mirror. It's like a mirror in that when you read the parable, it shows you yourself in a different but true light. You read the parable, and if you understand it, you say, oh, I'm that man. That's my heart. That's my situation. That's the truth of eternity. That's what the kingdom's like. This is what I need to do, or this is what's real about God's kingdom. You hear the parable, and it's like a mirror, but it's also like a window. It's like a window into heaven. When Jesus spoke the parables, what he was doing is, I want to give you guys a picture of what God's kingdom is like, what he is like, real truth, reality, not what the world tells you, not what you see with your eyes. I'm creating a window into true spiritual uh, reality. And so Jesus used the parables in those two ways. And so let's look at the first parable. It's in Mark chapter 4. I already read uh, verses 1 and 2 and 3, a little bit of 3, but I'll reread them. We'll go in verse 2. This is what Mark uh, wrote about Jesus. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up, and it choked it, and it yielded no grain. In other words, it wasn't fruitful. There was no, 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 uh, no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced, uh, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and even a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
This is what's considered the primary first parable of Jesus. A, a parable that in all three synoptic gospels, in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8, all three gospel writers say that this parable, Jesus commented on it as if, how can you understand the other parables if you don't understand this parable? This is a key beginning parable. And in this parable, there are four different kinds of soils. The soil on the path, the soil that's shallow with the rocks, it's on rocky ground, the soil that's got thorns and weeds, and then the good soil. There are four different kinds of soils. And in each gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it, Jesus explains the parable just a little bit later. Jesus actually explains to the disciples what the parable meant. I want to tell you what this parable actually means so that you can understand it. And the soils, we find out, represent the condition of each human heart as, is ex as it is exposed to God's word. So what the parable teaches us is, what is our heart like when it is exposed to God's word? What happens when God's word hits our heart? What is our heart condition, whether or not we receive it and bear fruit, or we receive it and it gets choked out, or we receive it and it's shallow, or we don't receive it at all? What is the condition of each person's heart as they receive God's truth? Because this explains to us the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he came preaching. Jesus was a preacher. He preached repentance and faith. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want all men to know this is what God is like. This is who he is. This is the truth. This is how you can have eternal life. If you want to be made right with your creator, this is what it means. This is what it takes. This is the truth. And so Jesus explained this in this parable with the four soils. Now, we're not going to be able to go through all four soils, so I'm just going to touch on the first one, maybe dabble a little bit in the second one, and we'll finish whenever we finish in the following weeks. So let's think about the first two soils using a couple jars. I actually prepared for this. Uh, I've got some jars in here. Uh, here's the first one. This is the first soil. The, the first soil represents the calloused heart, the calloused heart. It's like a hard heart. It's like hard soil. In verse 3 of Mark 4, he says, listen. Now, this is an imperative command. Uh, if you know anything about Greek, and the only reason why I'm using this is because it relates to another word. The word for listen in Greek, to listen, is akouo. Now, in the manuscript, this particular is akouete, which is the imperative form. It's the first imperative form. So he's saying, you Listen, this is a command. It's an imperative command. And it's the Greek word akuo. Well, get this. The word for obey, to actually do what you hear, is hoop akuo. It's like we would translate that hyper akuo or hyper listening. So in the language itself, when Jesus says, listen, this word is related to, and you know what the idea is of listening? Act on it. Apply it. I want you to listen to this parable. I want you to listen to this teaching, and I want you to do something with it. Don't leave here and go home and not apply this to your life. Listen. So he says, listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. So you guys know what a path is like. A path of dirt is, uh, it looks like it's been stepped on over and over. It's been traveled on. So when Jesus uses this part of the parable, he says, 
A sower sowed some seed, and some of it fell along the path. I actually have some pictures to show you from uh, my backyard. Uh, the, the jar on the left is actually this jar. This, you probably can't tell. This is really hard soil. Like, it almost sounds like rocks. It's not rocks. It is just hard soil. Um, for some reason, people built my house on clay. I don't know. Uh, I feel like there's a parable about that, and they did not pay attention. But anyway, uh, so... So I have hard soil. We have to work really hard. We have to buy miracle Grow and all that special stuff. We had to get dirt from other places. Our soil is horrible for plants. However, weeds love it. I don't know. This is a curse. It's part of the curse. So this is hard soil. If that middle picture is part of my backyard, and you can't tell, but there, that's, a, that's part of a, uh, a basketball rim, a portable basketball rim that we have. Uh, my 12-year-old son... He likes to go in the backyard and shoot the basketball, which is great. We love it. It's exercise. He's outside. Everything's great. Except the ball keeps falling in the same place, and he has killed the grass. He keeps doing the layups in the same place. He has trampled all over that dirt. If you were to go out in my backyard, that picture where it's a dirt patch, it looks brown, that dirt is so hard you would think, did you pour brown concrete right here? And that's what happens. On a path, the idea is if you continuously walk on dirt, it gets packed down and it becomes so hard that it's impenetrable. That's the idea. The sower threw out some seed and it landed on this hard, hard soil, this calloused, impenetrable soil, and the seed can't go in the dirt because it's like a, it's like a concrete floor. So the birds come by, and you know, birds are evil, so they come by, and they're like, oh, you want to plant grass? I don't think so. And so they take the seed, and they give it to their babies, and so baby birds do the same thing. I mean, it's a horrible cycle. So that's the idea. It's like really, really hard. So, so Jesus gives this parable, and he says, and then he explains it later on in verse 13. Uh, and I'm starting in verse 13 on purpose. Uh, then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? In Matthew, he makes the same comment. There's a division between the parable of the soils, or some people say the sower, or some people say the seed. It all depends on what you're trying to emphasize in the moment. They're all the same thing. So he gives this parable, and then he makes some other commentary, which is really important to understanding the parable. And then he says, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand all of the parables? In Matthew 13, in Matthew 13, there are seven parables in that one chapter. This is the first one, and to this, the gospel writer, Matthew says, according to Jesus, he records Jesus talking about, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand the rest. So we know that this parable is so key to understanding the other kingdom parables. How then will you understand all the parables? Then verse 14, he just goes right into it. Here's what it means. The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear the word, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Satan's like a bird. Birds are like Satan. So they're the same thing. So the sower sows the word. And I, I'm just kidding. I love animals. And if you love birds, I know some of you in here, you're my friends. You love birds and I love birds too. They're pretty. They're awesome. Except when they steal your seeds. Except then. Every other time they're great. Uh, and I love chicken too. This is my favorite food. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so birds are great. Let me just clarify that. The sower sows the word. Now, the seed here is the word of God. That's the seed. So this is clear. Jesus is like, uh, do you know what this parable means? The seed is the word of God. Both of them have life in them. 
So just like the Word of God is powerful and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and it does not return void and, and God's Word is so powerful, it changes men's heart. The, the, the seed is the Word and just like a small seed that when it grows, it grows into this enormous thing. That's how powerful God's Word is. They both have life and potential in them and God uses them. So they're small but powerful. That's the seed. Now the sower is the person who shares the word of God to others. Now, there's a little theological debate here, which is no big deal. These are armchair debates that we can all be brothers and sisters, same church. There, there is some people that say that Jesus is the sower. Now, in this particular parable, while he's teaching this, he is the sower. That is 100% true. But the sower doesn't represent God alone. We are meant to sow the word of God also, this parable, this illustration is used throughout the New Testament to say that you and I are now commissioned to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to continue the mission, to continue the acts through the power of the Holy Spirit, to share the word of God with others. If you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, uh, I don't have the slide, but if you have your Bibles, if you, t- oh, there it is. You guys are awesome. She did it. She did it. I did not create the slide, and my team back there is amazing. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See how Paul's using this parable to say, I planted, I was a sower, I sowed the seed of truth, I did this, but I'm nothing. Without God bringing the growth, I've got no hope. We need the power of God. It's not we do it. We don't accomplish it. He's the one who performs the miracles, who changes the heart. It's his word that's powerful. It's his spirit that's powerful. It's not us. We need him. We're dependent on him 100%. So Paul says, I was a sower. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's co-workers. We are God's co-laborers. God, Jesus was the sower And what did he tell his disciples to do? What does he tell the church to do? Now you go sow. You go share the word with others. You go plant the seeds. You go tell them the message. You explain the truths of God. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them how to obey everything I have taught you. We are the ones that are called upon to share God's truth. So we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Sowing the word is now the church's job. Back to verse 15 of Mark 4, which probably wasn't, there it is. So at the bottom of that, verse 15, some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Now let's remember what the path represents. When the the seed gets it, it's the hard ground. This is the calloused ground heart. They hear, but the seed can't get through. Now, this parable begs a question. What hardens a man's heart? Why are our neighbor's hearts hardened? Why are some of our friends' hearts just seeming impenetrable to God's truth? What is it? Why does it happen? What is this phenomenon that Jesus is explaining so that we understand the kingdom of God and what we're called to do He shares with us, you're going to share the word with some, and it's like it's not even going to get in the heart. It's going to be snatched away immediately. 
What causes a cow start? Well, if you use the parable for what it's meant to be, the path is being trampled on. Some people's hearts are calloused because men have trampled on them over and over again with lies and brokenness and abuse. And there are some people, maybe even some people in this room, where the reason why you were resistant to the truth of God is you had an idea about who God was or what was true already based on this trampling of men that your heart was hard toward religion. It was hard toward spirituality. It was just hard. Well, that could be true. We could have hard hearts because of others, but that's not the fundamental reason. and That's surely not the only reason. The Bible tells us why our hearts are hard. Paul explains it really good in Romans chapter 1. For his invisible attributes, speaking of God, that is, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood, here's the parable, through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. You know what Paul was saying that we need to all embrace? It's one of the hardest truths to embrace as humans because it just eats at our pride. It, it just, it's so hard on the human heart. Our hearts are hard because we don't want to be accountable. You see what Paul was telling them? People know God. His invisible attributes, the spiritual truths of God, the things that we can't see with our eyes, God has made parables all throughout creation to teach us who he is. He, he has designed the human body in such a way that evolutionists have to be radical skeptical skeptics. They have to be illogical, and they have to deny basic truths to say there's no designer. Of course there's a God. You would have to be ridiculous to say there's not an intelligent, powerful designer, that, that this all just happened. That is ridiculous, but that's the human heart. Just as Pharaoh made his heart hard, and hardened his heart, and God hardened his heart, and Moses hardened his heart, we as human beings are born with a heart that doesn't want to be accountable to God. So the fundamental reason for our hearts being hardened is because of us. And we have to own that. It is our hearts that are hard, not God's. God does not have a hard heart. If anything, he has demonstrated a love that no other person has even come close to demonstrating. We have hardened hearts because of our sin. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. He wants to change your heart so that it is receptive to him. He wants to break up that hard ground. You have to plow it and dig it up and you know, mix it around. You have to nurture it. You have to cultivate ground for it to be fertile. And Jesus wants to break up that hard ground, but we are without excuse. No human being has an excuse for being a hard-hearted, callous person toward God that I won't even begin to, I'm just indifferent. I won't, I, won't, uh, I won't even try to understand what he's saying. It's just, no, no. Have you ever had an idea where you just rejected it outright? You just didn't want to hear it. That's the picture. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless or vain. It was empty. Our thinking is empty without God. And their senseless hearts, that's where the heart comes in. Our senseless hearts were darkened. Darkened meaning there's no light. 
We've shut the windows of our heart off to the truth of God, the light of God, the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. We've shut our doors. We've shut our windows. We don't want it. That's the calloused heart. But let me plead with you. Don't write off the calloused heart. I was so hard-hearted for multiple years. And if it wasn't for someone loving me and continuing to sow the seed, I would just stay lost. As a teenager, I was so rebellious against God. My parents didn't help because they, they didn't know God. And they loved me, and they're, you know, I have a great relationship with my mom and dad now, but, you know, they grew up in brokenness, and that just spread, that continued. I was so rebellious toward God. There were certain truths I didn't want to believe or accept, but there was a man named Greg who, even though I had a calloused heart, his heart wasn't calloused against me. He knew my heart was hard. I dressed like it, talked like it, acted like it. If you would have seen me as a teenager, you'd say, uh, that kid's never getting saved. No chance. And there really was no chance, not without the power of God. But Greg, Greg kept on sowing seed. Let me, let me ask you a question. Is there anyone you know that you think, I think they have a hard heart? I don't think it's even worth sharing the word. This is going to fall on the path. I mean, there's no point. At work, at home, someone who's denied God for 50 years maybe, there's still hope. If they're alive, there is hope. And you know what? If anything this parable teaches us is you are the one to share the truth with them. You know what's really interesting about the hard soil? It's ridiculous for a farmer to throw seed on a path. I've heard some brilliant teachers, some, one of my favorite teachers in the world actually said this and I researched it. It's not true. Farmers did not, back in that day nor in this day, it's not like they were dumb back then and were smarter now. Think of a modern-day Newton farmer or, or Elbing or wherever, just Harvey County, Kansas, Kansas farmer. If you saw a, a farmer driving down First Street, throwing seed on the road, you would laugh yourself to death. Why would you do that? Listen, people weren't dumb 2,000 years ago and didn't realize that. Nobody just sowed seed on the hard path. That's the point of the, the parable. That's what Jesus is saying, that they're like, wait a minute. No farmer would reasonably throw seed on the path. You know what he's saying? Listen, everyone, every person, you are the one to share the truth with them. Don't give up and don't make excuses. Share the truth with them. They may be hard-hearted, callous. They may say, oh, I don't believe in that. That's baloney. I don't want to hear that. They may get antagonistic. Don't stop. The point is, keep sowing the word. It doesn't matter how callous they are. It doesn't matter how hard they are. God is more powerful than they are. There's actually a verse in uh, Jeremiah, I think. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Is not my word like fire? This is the Lord's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes the rock, the word of God is like a hammer that can break the toughest rock to pieces. God's word is powerful enough to change a heart of stone. 
You see it throughout the scriptures. You see it in the life of Paul. You see it in how many people could we think of? My own life, I was a hard-hearted person. I was antagonistic against the truth. But a believer kept sowing the word. And that's what we're to do. This sermon would be a complete success if you would just think of one person that needs to hear the word, that needs to have their heart changed, and you prayed for them every day this week. It wouldn't take you 30 seconds a day. 30 seconds a day if you would just pick someone and pray for them and ask God, God, only you can penetrate the heart, but would you open the door for the word for me to share with them? I'm going to be your sower. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. You know what that means? We don't have a harvest problem. We have a worker shortage. We need people to believe this parable that the, the seed was meant to be sown even on the path. Even on the path. Because God can change their lives too. And uh, my life is a living testimony of that. How are you praying for those people? I know there's someone in your life that you think is hard-hearted. How are you? I'm not asking how do you think about them, how do you complain about them, how do you whatever about them. How do you pray for them? How do you pray for them? Pray that God would move. You know what? You know why prayer is so powerful? It's when a human being gets on their knees and says, I'm doing zero work. I'm getting zero credit. I can do nothing. I am 100% dependent. It's like I'm bored. I'm doing nothing. I am just telling you, giving you my needs. If you don't act, this is a big waste. I have nothing to show for this. That's what prayer is meant to be. It's you depending on God saying, God, only you can change a heart of stone. Only you can break that up. Only you can pierce through. Nothing else is penetrable or nothing else is able to permeate that hard stone except you. Your word can do it. Open the door for my, you know, in Colossians, Paul told the, the church there. He said, pray that God would open up the door for the word that I may share with them, that I may share clearly with them. Ask God to open the door. If Paul was saying, hey, I need you to ask God, that means we need to ask God. That means we need to ask God to open the door for the word and not to give up, to keep sowing that word. Some people have calloused hearts. What are you going to do with the sermon? You know what I hope you don't do? I hope you don't go you know what, I understand the parable of the soils and I can teach it in Sunday school and I can write on a graph and I can use an illustration and I, uh, man, some people's hearts are hard. Some people's hearts are hard. Man, the sea's just not going to penetrate. And that would be empty and that would be a waste of our time and that's not us being the church and that's not us doing what God called us to do. Jesus said, listen and obey I'm telling you this so that you follow that. There are some hearts out there that are calloused, but you know what it needs? It still needs the seed. It still needs the sowers, the sowers and the waterers. Now, we're nothing without God bringing growth. But if you walk out of here and you don't pray for someone and spend money and spend time and give up your life to reach, to, to, to care about them, to talk to them, to invite them over, to spend time with them, if you don't do the work of the church Nothing is going to get done, and you're going to get to the end of your life. You're going to stand before the throne. Your, judge, your, your works are going to be brought through a fire. They're going to be tested, 
And every moment that you said, well, whatever, I at least know it and I can tell it, who cares if I do it, that is going to be burned up like chaff. It is like dirt. God has called us to be the church, and, uh, and we are without excuse if we don't reach those and share the word with even the hard-hearted, calloused hearts. They need prayer. They need us to share the word. They need us to pray that God would open the word, and they need us to love them. Because here's a better question. Do you even love them? Does it matter to you what happens to them? Because it matters to God. In this parable, Jesus is the sower, but we were meant to follow his lead to imitate him and sow the word. If we are not sowing the word, we are not obeying the Lord. We must sow the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your parables that are so convicting and rich with meaning, the way that you explain them in, in all three Gospels, you, you gave us an abundant uh, resource of understanding what you wanted for the church. Teach us. There may be some people in here, their heart is hard. And uh, right now, they're not receptive to your word. We pray, would you, would you change their heart? Would you open the eyes and ears of their heart? Would you make their heart like good soil, fertile soil that receives your truth, that it would bear root? We know from your word, this takes a supernatural work. This really does take a miracle. And we pray, would you, would you revive this church? Would you start a revival here in Central America, in Kansas? We're willing, we're your servants, we'll obey you, we will share your word, we will love our neighbor as ourself, as ourselves, if you would, if you would open the door, we, we pray. Use us to share your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.